Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right, uh, if you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel. I have loved already our beginning of 1 Samuel. And I'm not alone. Uh, apparently, several of you have said the same thing. You, you love it too. So 1 Samuel has been a lot of fun, uh, especially for those who don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Uh, I have really enjoyed this. The title of today's message is called Dis- Disrespect Honored. Disrespect Honored. That is, if you show the Lord disrespect, he will honor that in his way, which is exactly what we'll see today as we go through this. Uh, as we're in 1 Samuel, today we'll be in chapter 2. Now, if, you, if you've missed the past couple of weeks, you've missed some good stuff, I think. So two weeks ago, we had the, as I would call them, the Doctors Noonan, who are up here, uh, Ben and Jen Noonan, who are uh, both professors over at Columbia International University, both of them uh, Old Testament scholars. It was so fun to kind of get the, the setup for this. And if you missed that, I really encourage you to go back a couple of weeks on our uh, YouTube channel uh, or through the church website, Sand Hills Church. Org, and you can find that first message. And I, I just find it helpful to get some of the background as we go forward. But you can supplement that if you have your own study Bible. And I think everybody should get a good study Bible. And so get a good study Bible. The thing I love about that is there's an introduction to every book. And so you can see the date, the purpose, the occasion, the background, all the stuff that's going on there. Super beneficial. Another bonus to a study Bible is you also get the notes, like the little commentary on the side. Now, it's abbreviated to what you'd find in a, a, a bigger commentary, uh, but it's really helpful to help you understand, especially Old Testament, where there's some stuff in there that doesn't you know, quite connect. So <clears throat> just a few details for you. So 1 Samuel comes on the heels of the book of Judges by way of the content that it presents. It was written in the 900s-ish B.C., so it, it goes back away. Uh, it's named after Samuel. Samuel's a prophet of God. He's leading the nation right now. God is using him to do some uh, particular things, but he's actually going to make him the kingmaker. And so he'll be responsible for appointing the first king, Saul, and then uh, David, who will succeed him. Uh, so we're going to hear more about Samuel as we go through this. At, at this point in the book, we're in the first part of Samuel's life. So it's really kind of a joy to, to see how this works. One of the themes we'll see as we go forward is uh, that those who honor God will be honored by God, and those who dishonor God will be dishonored by God, and that's a theme we'll pick up on even today as we do the story uh, going forward. Uh, Today, you're going to get to know a couple of um, priests named Hophni and Phinehas, Hophni and Phinehas, and these, these these are bad dudes. In fact, you're in your Bible, over 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, you probably have a title. Now, the title is not an inspired word from the author, but it is communicative. Uh, what does your title say over verse 12? Eli's worthless <laughs> sons. Now, when the Bible calls you worthless, that's, that's bad. That's really bad. That's really bad. Now, not for nothing. Um, somebody wasn't just making that up. Let's go ahead and read verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Oh my goodness, worthless men. So, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, what do you have to do to be called a worthless person? Now, why are they worthless? Well, part of the answer is given there. I think part of the answer is in what follows. They don't know the Lord. That's what makes them worthless. But let's just say this. So there was a time when most of us in here didn't know the Lord, right? Some of us maybe not yet knowing the Lord, but uh, were we worthless at that moment? Well, now you could have a theological argument, I think. But, but for these guys in particular, by the time we get done, like even right, like right now, if you've not read the story, you're not familiar with the story, 
you're maybe out there like, I don't know if I'd call them worthless. Do we really want to call anybody worthless? Which we might find ourselves arguing with the Lord at some point. Um, but by the time we get done, you're going to be like, oh yeah, they're worthless. They're <laughs> absolutely worthless guys. So uh, let us begin our journey in discovering the problem with these guys. Let's go on to uh, verses 13 and 14. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. All right, so in case you missed it, the priests are stealing the offerings, that's, that's what they're doing. So provision is actually made in the law of God for the priests to receive a portion, to be, to be supported by a portion of the resources that people bring, in this case, to the tent of meeting. So they're, they're allowed a portion of that. They're not allowed all of it, and they're not allowed God's portion of it. The equivalent for me would be if after you guys all leave today, if I just went to an offering box and I just ran my hand through it, and whatever came up, that's for me, Right? Like, no, that's, that is stealing. <laughs> like, you should be arrested for that. And that's what these guys are doing. They are stealing uh, the Lord's offerings. Uh, it, it gets worse. And this is, this is how it works with Hophni and Phinehas. Like, you'll read something, and we're going to do this three times. You're going to read something about Hophni and Phinehas, and you're going to be like, ooh, that's bad. And then we'll take it a step further, and you're like, that's worse. And then we'll go another step, and you're going to be like, okay, that's horrible now. So we've just taken our first step. They're stealing the offerings of God. Let's take our next step. Learn a little bit more about them. Verses 15 through 17. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no. You must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. All right, so now if somebody really wants to honor the Lord, and they are wanting to honor the Lord. So one of the things about giving offerings, Old Testament sacrificial offerings, not like we do it today, but one of the ways they used to give the offering was you would burn the fat off. That was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The Lord loved to smell the fat of the meat coming off of that. Now, somebody after the first service told me how much he loves driving by barbecue restaurants because when, when he drives by, there's that, that smoke that rolls out. And I was like, that's why barbecue's of the Lord. That, like... <laughs> He loves the aroma, and so it does make sense. So any of you that like to smoke meat and stuff like that, good. Yeah, that's a very godly thing. So, um, so the Lord loves that. And so if somebody says, like, well, I want to honor the Lord. Now, there was a command, and I'll, I'll just show you one of them. There are several, but I'll show you one from Leviticus. Leviticus uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that's on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. All right, so the idea is this, and this is other places too, but just they would burn the fat and part of the fat was a, an offering to the Lord and the Lord loved that. And so you would go to make your offering. Now understand the context here. This is not a wealthy society. 
you're showing up with a sacrifice that costs you. Like you could have eaten that animal. So you show up with this animal and you go to, to offer the meat, uh, a portion of which you give to the Lord. As it's burning, the priest walks up and says, go ahead and give me that right now. And you're like, well, actually, I'm trying to honor the Lord here. I really want to, let's, let's let, let the fat burn off. After it, after it burns off, because that goes to the Lord, you can take the rest. You can have everything else. And he's like, I'll tell you what, if you don't give that to me right now, I'm going to punch you. Yeah. These, these are the priests of the Lord. I mean, this, this is a nightmare going on here. I mean, here's the thing. If I'm a jerk to you, right, or anybody on our staff is a jerk to you, you can just leave the church. It's not a big deal. Like in Northeast Columbia alone, there's probably 10 great churches in Northeast Columbia. I'm friends with a, a number of the pastors out there. They're great churches. If we offend you, you can just go somewhere else. Not here though. See, at this point, you could only worship in Shiloh. That's where the tent of meeting was. And there was only one priestly line in operation. And that was Eli and his family who were descended from the priests before them and for, through whom are gonna have more priests that they'll, they'll just run the thing. And so you've got one option. So you can't go anywhere else. What do you do when the only place you can worship is defiled? And these guys are, are just, they're just totally taking lightly uh, what they've been entrusted with. Like, I get, I get bad pastors. I get, I get bad ministers. Uh, like, like, you're familiar with that. We've seen it before. Now, I will say this, by contrast to what other people believe, because it seems like to me, every time you watch a TV show or every time you watch a movie and there's a, a pastor in it, they're always the bad guy, right? They're stealing money. They're sleeping with somebody. They're like doing all this kind of stuff. Like it just it infuriates me, which reminds me that Satan very much is uh, of the airwaves. But um, in fact, it, a couple of years ago, I was sitting at a Starbucks and this lady next to me, she's, she's working on her laptop. I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee, reading my Bible. And, uh, and she had like headphones on. And so she pauses while she's doing this. She pulls her headphones down and, you know, we catch each other's eyes. And she's like, oh, what are you reading over there? I'm reading the Bible and came up. She's like, oh, I said, I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, you're a pastor. She's like, well, I'm an author and I'm, I'm actually writing a story right now and in my story is a pastor. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not even gonna ask, but can I just say, please make him a good, God-honoring, Jesus-loving, kind, sweet person uh, as opposed to all the other junk that's out there. And she did not respond. So... <laughs> I knew she had already ruined him, so I hope nobody read her story, and it failed miserably, uh, to, the, to the glory of God. Um, yeah. Now, so, I mean, this is the thing here, but, but I, I, really, I really believe this before we get back to Hoffney and Phineas. Like, I, I know so many more people in ministry that are faithful than the few bad churches or bad people. It's just that we hear about the ones that fail, and so they make all this news, uh, but we don't hear all, about all the many, many faithful people. So, an, an appeal to really good people out there. Unfortunately, these guys are ruining it for, for everybody. They are, they are bad people. And they're missing the power of the moment, for me, which is even worse than that. Like, when you are the vehicle through whom people worship God, like, you gotta take that seriously. Because because when you give to the Lord, think about your giving to the Lord. If we could just pause for a moment, let's just talk about making an offering to the Lord. Now, we do it different now than they did then, but it's, it's similar in concept. That is, there's nobody sitting here this morning that says, I have all the money I need. In fact, all the money I'm making now, I'm just throwing it on the pile. I don't even need it anymore. You know, I'm just throwing it in there. Like, nobody's to that point, right? Where you don't need more money, want more money. So nobody's there. So when you come and you bring an offering to the Lord, and, and in this day and age, we give it through the local church. So you, you give this offering to the Lord. Like, it costs you. It costs you something you need and you want. 
And so by you making an offering, it's you acknowledging that there is somebody greater out there that you value more than your own prosperity. Right? That, I mean, that's a sacrifice. And so when you do give that, and, and even, especially like I mentioned earlier, if you set up for regular giving, make sure you think about that often, pray about it often, you know, remind yourself and the Lord that you're doing this, you know, for him. This idea that like you want to seize that moment, that's a really sweet and beautiful moment. And for somebody to dishonor that when, you, when you're making a sacrifice to show God that you realize he's the one who provides for you, he's the one who provides the means for you even to attain these things, I mean, that's a, that's a really precious moment. And these guys have just violated the whole thing. It's, it's horrible. They're inhibiting worship. And, and, and I would say this, to treat the Lord's commands lightly is literally taking your life in your own hands. I've met plenty of people over the years who, who they don't even care. They don't care about the Lord. They don't care about his word. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, I, like, I don't have the words to communicate to you how dangerous your ambivalence truly is. Like, I, if, if the spirit doesn't do something, if, if God didn't knock you upside the head like he did me, like, there's just no hope for you. But this, this path that you're on leads to eternal destruction. This is real. And, and these guys totally missed the, the whole thing. So here, here's what I love about how this author writes. So we're going to see this right now. As you're going through this, and if you're like me, you're starting to get worked up a little bit about uh, Hophni and Phinehas, and you're like, like, I'm really getting uncomfortable here. And then we go into verse 18. Look, look at verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with an, a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So when they would return uh, to their home, so then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, if you weren't with us last week, um, you have really missed a sweet story. I'm like the, the really, the thing I love about this is you have this barren woman, she's unable to have children, and God does this remarkable thing in her life where now she finally has a son. And she'd made this deal with God, which, well, I made a caution last week about trying to deal with God. She made this deal with God, if you'll give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. I'll dedicate him to the church. In fact, she donated him to the church, which we talked about last week. We don't take child donations at the church, but it worked in their time. And so they make this donation, and, uh, and he grows up in the way of the Lord. So here's what I love about the author. The author's like, hey, listen, I get it. You're getting worked up about uh, Hophni and Phinehas. You don't like these guys. They're bad guys. They are bad guys. But can I talk about Samuel? Like, like for just a moment, Samuel is one who is literally honoring the Lord. This is what he's doing. He's a, he's a good guy. He's not disrespecting the Lord. He's honoring the Lord. And I, I just love this section here. He's honoring the Lord. He comes from a family that honors the Lord. We learned last week um, that, that both Hannah uh, and Elkanah, her husband, they're both godly people. They have some resources. They're taking care of everybody. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and then as I was thinking about this too, I thought, you know, let me... I'm going to put a commercial in here. Can I just say right up? This, this is not of the Lord necessarily. This, is, this may be of the Jeff. But, um, but I think it's worth saying, all right? So when, when I went into ministry, um, and, and there will be some of you here are, are wrestling with whether you want to go into ministry vocationally. Um, and then uh, some of you have children that are wrestling with whether or not they may want to go into ministry vocationally. And, and I just want to make this appeal to family members and friends. Uh, please... Please encourage them as they do this. It is a big deal to go into ministry. And when I started communicating to my friends and family that I was thinking about going into ministry, I actually received a lot of negativity. 
Like, have you thought about, and have you thought about, and have you thought about? And I was like, yeah, actually, you know, I was just kind of thinking about the Lord, and I figured he'd work the rest of the stuff out, but thanks for bringing that to my attention. You know, like, like there's a part of this wrestling. Um, and so, uh, like, I, I would have appreciated much more encouragement during that. And I get it as a parent. I get it as a parent. You're thinking, like, uh, you're going to be, uh, I don't know if this is a hell. Like, I get it. Let's trust God in this thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And that's, that's what they did here. I noticed too, like, I love that she brings him some clothing every year. And uh, it reminded me too, just of my own journey, that um, when we started the church, Michelle and I, uh, and the six of us that were meeting in my living room, uh, Michelle and I were poor, 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 poor. I mean, we, we were straight up poor, young married couple. And yet God used the church to bless us richly. People took care of us, gave us little gift cards, took us out to dinners. It was actually so sweet uh, for us. And so God never let us go hungry. We were always provided for. Um, and so my side note, to this would be. If you know somebody who's gone into ministry or they're, they're in ministry now, uh, they're probably dealing with less resources than you have, and you probably don't feel like you have that many. Uh, so may I encourage you to bless them. Uh, I would take them out to eat, give them some babysitting, you know, give them a gift card to the grocery store or something like that. Uh, that would be really beneficial. But you see this really sweet moment here lived out in the sky. So like this contrast, Hophni and Phineas, horrible people, taking advantage of people. And then you've got uh, Hannah and Elkanah who they love their son. They've dedicated him to God. They still love the Lord. They worship the Lord. Uh, they help provide for him in ministry. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful contrast here. So here we go. All right. Uh, and then Eli, his, his blessing is like, you know, may the Lord bless you. That's his desire. May the Lord bless you with more children. And then they have more children and it, he does. So God does it. And so there's a sense in which, you know, God's kind of honoring Eli's blessing, so to speak. But as I was thinking about this later, I was like, you know, I don't know that God's honoring Eli's blessing because it really just says that God did this. It just happened. I think that Eli was in line with what God was doing. And so it worked out. Um, and it reminded me too of prayer. Like, like, so prayer, so people have this phrase they use where they say, uh, prayer is powerful, uh, but I'm not sure I'm on, I'm on, I'm board with that. I, I don't think prayer is powerful. I think God is powerful. And when your prayers align with God's will, amazing things happen. But when your prayer is out of line with God's will, I mean, nothing happens, right? Um, and I would just say as a side note, I'm awfully glad that God does not answer all of my prayers because I have offered some foolish prayers over the years and God is so much smarter than me. But in this case, Eli's prayers align with the will of the Lord. He does this beautiful thing. She does have kids. Now, Hophni and Phineas. I said, we didn't like them to begin with. They're already heading in a bad direction. We're about to hit the peak of how horrible these guys are. Go to verse 22. Now, Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Man, I'm like, okay, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, this is one of those things where, and, and, this, and I'll be honest with you, I've read this passage a lot. I talked about it first service and I still get angry when I read this thing. I mean, literally, I still get angry with this. Like, I cannot believe these guys. Like, you're stealing from the Lord. You're berating his people. You're threatening his people with violence if they won't give you the stuff they came to give to the Lord. And then you're sleeping with women who are serving at the place where people come to worship. Like, what is going on here? I mean, this is one of those things that is just, it, it, it's just enraging to people that love the Lord. And so at this point now, this has become an Old Testament reality show. That's what's going on here. You could call this Preachers of Shiloh. That's what this would be. And Netflix would pick it up. They would love it. They'd make a lot of money on this thing. It'd be a big deal. But this is, this is just a nightmare to watch. And, and so then, now we go forward. Verse, uh, go to verse 23. Um, and he said to them, this is Eli, why do you do such things? 
For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it is the will of the Lord to put them to death. Wow, okay, there's a lot lot going on here. Um, So, we should probably pause and say Eli's part of the problem in this. Eli's part of the problem. Like he's acknowledging that his sons are doing this thing. He's aware that they're doing this thing. Uh, but he's a part of the problem. Now, verse 22 starts off. Now, Eli was very old. We don't know exactly how old he was at this moment. But by the time we get to chapter 4, it says he's 98 years old. 98. Now, I, there's no indication of how the time flows through this. So is he, is he close to that age here? I don't know. But let, let's just say if it, the dude's in his 90s. Let's, let's just say. If you're in your 90s, how old are your kids? I mean, their retirement age, right? Right. I mean, uh, their kids are far along in their careers. I mean, you know, this is, you're deep into this thing. So if you're that old and these kids, like, it's not like these are like 20-year-old, 21-year-old guys who are just starting to get a taste of power and all that. Like, it's not, they have been abusing their role in people for decades, for decades. And it reminds me of this too. Like, I know we get frustrated when God doesn't seem to be moving on our time frame when it comes to, to judgment and to taking care of problems and, that we see around us. But, but he's an eternal being. His time frame is different than ours. And he knows that he sees everybody in the end. So whatever's going on here, God in his time frame. But it does say this. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. He had already decided this. Now, Eli's comment, his words are very powerful, even though they don't bear any fruit. If you sin between uh, you and another man, God can, he can mediate. You sin against the Lord, who's going to mediate? Now, King David actually made an interesting comment, one of his Psalms, where he says, uh, against you, Lord, and only you have I sinned. Where he realizes that even though I've committed these other sins, all my sins really against the Lord. And so in that idea, all of our sin is against the Lord. And so here's the question. If we have all sinned against the Lord, who will mediate for us? Now, this is where we can pause and go, so glad we have another section of this book that we love. Uh, And this, for now, we will go to the New Testament. We'll see in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when you're asking yourself this question, like, oh, man, because we have all done stuff. Now, you're looking at this. I mean, hopefully you're not in this vein. And I think it's worse because they're supposed to be representing the Lord as servants. Um, But just this horrible nightmare of people. If you've ever sat there and thought, you know, I have sinned so greatly. I don't know how I could ever find forgiveness. Like, forgiveness is there. Jesus Christ died for all sin. All sin. There's not a sin you can commit that his blood can't cover. His blood is way more powerful than your sin could ever be. But we do respond. We have to respond in faith. We have to respond in submission. We do respond in belief. Uh, and then we respond in the way we live. And so uh, this is something these guys have missed, but we have the, the privilege of having. And, uh, and so now here we are again at the peak of frustration, at the peak of anger, verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. And again, I love this. The author's like, you know, Hophni and Phineas are horrible. And they're like, but, but then Samuel's great. Hophni and Phineas are really bad. Isn't Samuel great? I know Hophni and Phineas are the worst. Don't you hate them? But Samuel, Samuel's great. I mean, you like, I, I love the back and forth here. We keep getting brought back to God's doing something great. Samuel's a man that honors the Lord. He's, he's doing some great stuff there. But now what we're going to see, now what we're going to see is we're going to see the judgment of the Lord. And let's be honest, nobody can do judgment like God can do judgment. And you, by the time we get done here, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, this is, this is some for real, I can't believe this kind of judgment. So for, let's start in verse 27. We see the judgment of the Lord. 
And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? All right, now we're not even done, but let's just, let's just talk about it as we get rolling here. So I, this is ironic to me. The Lord has to send a prophet to the high priest because the high priest is no longer hearing from God. Like that in itself is already like, dude, you're in, a bad, you're in a bad spot. So the prophet comes and he's like, hey, God's giving me a word. You need to hear this. And so he starts dumping this out. And so he accuses Eli, which is, which is fair because Eli has been complicit. And so it says here, you've been fattening yourselves. Eli is eating the food his sons are stealing. So it's like he's sitting there going like, why are you guys stealing all this meat from the people? Hey, you're going to eat that? Can you pass it over? Like, like you can't, you can't do that. And, and so here's the thing too, like, and, and I mean, this is, he should have fired his kids. I don't know how it works. I don't know how you fire priests. I don't know how the whole thing, but he should have fired them. He should have kept them from doing it. Not only that, he should have brought them to judgment in some particular kind of way. And then as I'm reading this and I'm thinking, I know, I know this is not a passage on parenting. It's not a passage on parenting, but I think as a parent, there is a good thing we can learn here. Like, don't ever side with your children who've chosen a sinful, whatever, choice, lifestyle, whatever, against the Lord. Like, don't ever be on that side of it. Now, I'm not, a, like, we can't abandon our kids when they make horrible choices and stuff like that. I get that. We can't abandon them. We've got to be there for them. But there's a big difference between being there for your kids as a grace representative, as a truth bringer, uh, and, and being there like, oh, you know what? Well, we'll just, we'll go with culture here. We won't go with the Lord. You know, like, the, always side with the Lord, even when dealing with your kids. And, and I, it would be a good lunch discussion to say, what are ways that we can put our kids over and above the Lord? Like, what are ways that we, because I think there's a bunch. I thought of a bunch, and I thought I would say them, but then I thought if I say them, I might lose you for the rest of the message. So let me just, let me, I'll just say, it's, it's, a, it's worth uh, a wild thought to think, is there any way that I prioritize my kids over the Lord in some way? Just put that out there as a thought to have. All right. He goes first. Now, again, it's going to get so bad. Uh, verse 31. Behold, the days are... Oh, no, we should back up. Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. All right, let me, let's talk about what he just said there. I made a vow. I made a promise that, that the line of your predecessors would be my priests forever. You have so offended me, I'm changing my mind. Like when you are so bad, you just changed the mind of God. That's a big deal. Now, some of you might pull back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. thought God was immutable. Like that's the word. Thought he was immutable. I thought God doesn't change. All right, so these, these are some things we have to understand. There are some things that God declares that he himself is responsible to maintain. Like that is a, that's a unilateral promise. It's a unilateral covenant. God is the only one responsible for it. But he makes these other commitments that are bilateral, meaning I'm going to do so long as you do, right? So they're back and forth. And so this one, we realized this was a bilateral promise. Like I vowed that you would go in and out before me, but you have not been upholding your end of the deal. And so because you have not upheld your end, 
I am no longer bound to my end. And we do know that by the time you get to the, uh, the, the age of Solomon, Solomon will actually uh, subvert Eli's line so they are no longer serving in a place of prominence as priests. So this actually does come to pass. But uh, this, this is a really sad thing here. Now, but now, like you thought it was bad before. Wait till I read this and then you'll be like, oh my goodness. All right, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. I mean, I mean, did you, did you catch that line that like, the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Like, I'm going to leave one guy alive so that he can be in horrible, miserable tragedy for all that happens to your family. That's what I'm going to do. So that, I'm just let you know what I'm doing. Okay, so, like, you could sit back on this and go, I didn't see him. That seems right. That seems really harsh. Like, God, I don't know if you should. And, and the only pause I would give is this. Be very careful setting yourself up as judge over God. It's not the way it works. And so when I look at this, I just come away with going like, okay, Lord, I, I hear you. And this whole thing of like connecting like the, the food penalty, like his, his descendants are going to experience a poverty as extreme as their ancestors' greed. I mean, it's like there's going to be this horrible thing going on here. So now when I look at this and I look at the Old Testament, I'm always thinking, all right, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? Like, cause this is not a, thus saith the Lord to Jeff and the church and all this kind of stuff. But, but we can see here how people interact. I, I'm going to go back to a quote I said at the beginning. I think I said, maybe I didn't. Uh, but this actually comes from uh, one of the commentaries I read, Robert Chisholm Jr. And he made this comment about this chapter. This is what he said. Disrespect can be deadly. That was like his title for this chapter. Disrespect can be deadly. And so for me, as I think about this, this idea that like, at some point, all of us, you're, we all do, wrestle with my desires versus the Lord's will. Like that's a wrestle you are in all the time. My desires, God's will. And sometimes they go together. Sometimes your desires are in line with the will of the Lord. And sometimes they're in opposition. And this is one of those where I'm reminded of, of like, when it comes time to that choice, there's, there's several things that are impressed upon me. One is a believer in Christ I have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me, which means I have access to a supernatural power to do over and above what even I think I can do. So uh, I, I think that. And then I think this. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So like when I come to these moments where I want to choose 
contrary to the Lord's will, I can choose to submit to the Spirit who gives me the strength. I can choose to submit to the Spirit of God who, who gives me the self-control, and I can choose to do the will of the Lord contrary to how I feel like I want to do. Now, some of us, I think, are probably stuck in some, some ruts right now. We're probably stuck in some habitual sins. And so I want to pause just this moment to ask you, as we talk about this, as we talk about people who are giving over to desires contrary to the, the will of the Lord, is there something in your life right now that God's already putting his finger on? Is there something in your life right now where God's like, I'm talking to you this morning. There's an area you're holding back from me. Or there's an area where you're pursuing something you want that you know is not what I want. And so then I think about a few things. One, we want to make sure that we're right with the Lord. Where we submit our hearts to Jesus Christ. We believe in him, put our faith in him, and submit ourselves fully to him. And then if we come to that point and we find grace and forgiveness and supernatural power through his Holy Spirit, then we need to make some choices. And I've always found this, that God does not tend to subvert my choices. But when I make his choices, when I choose those, he empowers them so that I can be successful. I think it's a big difference. But let me pause right now and say this, that whenever you come to a point in life or in your day-to-day -day where you have a decision to make, and it is my will, which is contrary to the Lord's in that moment, or the will of my Lord, whenever you have to choose between the two, let the one choice be for Christ. Let it be Jesus' choice. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for a reminder this morning. It, it is good, Lord, for us to see these, these very, very wicked people. That's very healthy for us um, because then we get this contrast. And then we see reality too, Father, because we do wrestle, all of us, with really wicked stuff, uh, both in thought and in action. But Lord, we're reminded that in you and through your son, grace abounds. Father, thank you that this judgment does not haunt us to the grave. And so long as we draw breath, we have a chance to repent, to submit our hearts to you. So Jesus, we put our faith in you right now. We express our love to you. And thank you for the reminder this morning that we can choose to follow Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.